Hello, Liturgy Ed listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, I want to tell you about a virtual 20th anniversary celebration that we are hosting on Facebook next Friday, November 6th at 3 p.m. Central. We are going to give an award to Dr. David Fagerberg, and he's going to give a short acceptance speech, and then I will give everybody some updates on the Liturgical Institute. We had hoped to have a big uh, symposium this summer, but because of COVID, we had to cancel everything. So we have to do everything virtual this year. So if you join us next Friday, November 6th at 3 p.m. on our Facebook page, we will go live. And at the end of the whole event, uh, you're more than welcome to to comment in the live feed. Ask me some questions. I'd be more than happy to answer them. So again, that's Friday, November 6th on our Facebook feed at 3 p.m. Central. This week, we dive back into the catechism and what it says about liturgy. So without further ado, episode eight of season five of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. You, You have a friend... Oh my goodness. Can I tell you we have a special guest today? Is it Scott Hahn? It is not Scott Hahn. Oh, okay. If it's anybody so less than Scott Hahn, I will be severely disappointed. But who Scott is Hahn? it? It's not Christopher West. <laughs> one of our favorite students here at Benedictine College. His name is Abe Peralt, and he's from Nebraska, which makes Chris happy. <sighs> Hello, Abe. Hello, Abe. What is up, everyone? It's his dream to be. A visitor on the Liturgy Guys podcast. I've gotten like two shout outs now at this point, and now, <laughs> now I'm stepping up. I'm actually here. He just you're, got you're here. Almost, you're almost ready for a shout down, I think. Yes, yeah. You need to a, 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 put that bar a little higher, too. <laughs> well, you're seeing how the sausage is being made at the uh, uh, Liturgy Guys. Yeah. So, anyway, so, yeah, so are, are, you a, are you a student in Dennis's class? Yeah, I'm in his music in the Catholic liturgy class. We and are currently, how, how, on a scale from one to three, how terrible is it? You better answer this right. <laughs> probably not your final grade yet. Probably like a four. Honestly, yeah. it's, 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 on the terrible a, scale. Yeah, on the terrible oh. scale, it's pretty. It's pretty <laughs> awful. I can't. I can't read any more of Pius the tenth. <laughs> Wait till you get to Pius the eleventh. No, <laughs> Abe here was one of the two Pius students to. Who lived up to his responsibilities on dress like DMAC Day last year? Apparently, I'm predictable in my dress to wear a tie no, with a V-neck no, sweater. You're yeah, not. No, you're not. So, he and Ben no. Moritz came. Moritz came in with a V-neck sweater and a tie. Was that your idea or his? His. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm not. So, I'm not that good of a thinker. Maybe we can put that on the the podcast uh, as the photo. It's the three of us and dressed to dress like DMAC Day. Wow. So uh, what is it like to be taught by Dennis? Uh, because I've never had that experience or pleasure. <laughs> you better answer this properly, too. Basically, it's like going to class every day and then you have a repeat of last last week's class and then or last the last class period. And then you learn every day. I don't know. All right. You learn the same things over and over again. Basically, all you need to know um, love song of the Trinity. Yes. And, uh, 
in the mystical body. Yeah, yeah. There you go. glorified mystical body. There we go. You know who taught me about the love song of the Trinity? Uh, Chris Carson's. Uh, you can blame him that I. Uh, that and yeah. I taught Chris, so it's a full circle here. Yeah. So heaven's gonna be like an eternal love song of the Trinity. So yes. Dave, you better get used to it oh, now. I love you, son. I love you back. That's, hmm. Hopefully, this is a perfect segue in the topic. I don't know. Yeah. What are we talking about today, boys? We're we're doing the the, the next section uh, about liturgy on the catechism. Yeah. What is that? Which is, yeah. Pray and the liturgy. Yeah, that seems about right. Pray, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Oh, this this line has Dennis all over it. The liturgy is also a participation in Christ's own prayer addressed to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Abe, you could not have set that up any better. That's entering the dialogue of the Trinity, Abe. <laughs> you think I'm making this stuff up? It's right there in the catechism. So let's ponder that for a second. How do you talk to God? Well, he's, God's far away. He's outside of time and space. He's God and we're not. He's infinite. We're finite. And yet in the liturgy, we get to participate in Christ's own prayer addressed to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Wait, I have one question first before you seclude yourself in audio isolation. Abe, are you an Abram or an Abraham? I am an Abram. Whoa. Unreconstructed, unconverted by Before the Ham. Nice. Yeah. My my chaplain in high school always used to say that um he goes, if you become a priest, it's gonna be Father Abraham. Oh <laughs> I like it. Help. Get a name change. Yeah. I can't wait to be Jesse Ham. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a ham already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ma'am. Well, uh, Abe, I, we have to uh, proceed with this, and I and I don't think the uh, unless hey, Dennis has an extra good. pair of headphones there. Um, I think we have to put that on I'll so we don't I'll get echoed. Listen, and I'll get the I'll get the excerpts. Okay, good. Good, and you can write the cliff notes for this episode for everybody else. Do they still have Cliff Notes? Do you use Cliff Notes, Abe? Um, I actually like to do the reading. <laughs> hey, you know the Cliff, reading. He's like the you know the Cliff Notes were invented in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know that? What about Lincoln, Nebraska? What about, the, Abe, what about Abe Lincoln? That's the that's where Cliff <laughs> Notes were invented in Lincoln. That. My mom played Bible roulette and landed on Abram. And my dad is a, uh, a Civil War history buff. And so um, he studies like the, the Civil War as it took place in, in Nebraska. And so um, he, he's a big fan of Abraham Lincoln. Wow. So you got Abe and Abram. Yeah. Wow. They compromise. The Bible and the Civil War. Mm-hmm. One. And Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. And Nebraska. All right. Well, now that Abe is certain secluded in a soundproof room. The password is is Israelites. <laughs> Dialogue of the Trinity. <laughs> I know he can't hear us now, so we can't. We're laughing. <laughs> he doesn't know why. I can't keep telling him. He's still sitting right here. To me, all right, right, Abe. We surveyed 100 Americans on their favorite Old Testament name. <laughs> he can't hear you. I know. How about that? This is what it's like, Jesse. You have all these jokes and nobody's laughs. But you're used to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that one hurt, Dennis. I'm going to have to go and cry. I'm going to go in my cone of silence as well. Uh, okay. All right, all right, all right. So, all right. We're going to talk about the catechism. Yeah. 
So <laughs> what, were we, what were we saying before Abe's we were talking, interrupted us with his? We're talking um, about uh, Dennis's one of Dennis's favorite lines. The liturgy is also participation in Christ's own prayer addressed to the Father in the Holy Spirit. Right, uh, and uh, that I was about to uh, uh, offer. Remind me of this line from Augustine about how. In order for man to praise God rightly, God first praised himself to show us how to do it. Well, yeah, I think we had an email exchange about this, uh, Dennis. So God wants us to talk to him rightly. Sort of like, um, uh, you know, when you're, a, when you're a little kid and you got mouthy with your uh, mother and your father overheard you and he said, don't you talk to your mother like that. I never there's, did that. There's a certain way to talk to uh your mother, your father, your boss, whatever it is. Okay? And so there's a certain way to talk to God. And so God wanted to demonstrate how it is that we should talk to him, how we should praise him, how we should worship him, adore him, honor him, sing to him. And so he said, do it like this. And so the father started praising and honoring God and the Holy Spirit lent his voice and breath to, uh, to God. And they demonstrated for us how to do it. And this is what that line seems to be about. The liturgy is a participation of our joining in the Son's loving praise to God the Father. Yeah, and there's that whole Thomistic thing about how is the Son begotten that the Father thought of himself. And as he thought of himself, he, as pure act, expressed himself in, as other. But that would be also the perfect way to talk to me. This is how to talk to me. Talk to me like I would talk to me, Chris, Jesse, and then all would be uh, all would be well. Now, God taught us liturgy because what? He hates us, he demands us, got the whip out. Whoosh, I'm God and you're not. Do it this way or I fry no, you he forever. Wants to give a, he, he wants to give us access to his full self, and he's revealed yeah. that through the liturgy. I just want to go whoosh again because that's fun. That, that's not from God. That is what the great love which the Father had loved us, it says, that marvelous work of God is Christ's dialogue of love to the Father. We get to participate in that. And so that prayer is actually entering the dialogue of the Trinity, the love song of the Trinity, made possible by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Take that, Abe. Dialogue of the Trinity. Don't forget it. <laughs> I don't think he will. No. <laughs> is he getting extra credit for this? Is he getting like one credit hour? Podcast He's giving credit me extra hour? credit for letting him be on the it. podcast. Yeah. He actually right. loses points every minute he's here. <laughs> All right. So now we have the section uh, catechesis and liturgy. So, right. This is so our friend can, James Pauly. We can just skip it? this part, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think Dr. Pauly would like that. <laughs> Dr. Pauly is a professor of catechesis at Franciscan University, and he's a liturgical institute graduate, got his doctorate there. All right. Catechesis. Remember, that was in our etymology thing, right? It comes, it means to speak with the mouth, kind of to teach from the mouth. So you have to give the gospel message to people so they can enter into the liturgy. And um, it's this privileged place for catechizing, it says. We think catechizing is sitting in boring classrooms or listening to boring liturgy guys podcasts. But what does it say, Chris, about liturgy and catechesis or boring music and Catholic liturgy classes? Hey, that's not what Abe said. He did not oh. say your class was boring. No, we have an awesome time. Our class is great. I just, it's like my favorite hours of the week is when we have that class, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if if James Pauly were here, our friend, I mean, there, there's there's one way to understand how, what does it say here? Liturgy is the uh, the, privi or the privileged place for catechizing the people of God. That there's one way in which that is true and one way in which that is not true, right? So 
it is not true that the people show up inside the nave and they sit down in arranged uh, chairs and the teacher, the preacher, the priest comes up and delivers uh, in a didactic, uh, uh, purely cognitive sort of way lessons on divine truths of God or morality or dogma or doctrine or whatever else it might be. That right. is we not never take a quiz at mass, do we? Did never you never take a quiz? Yeah, you never take a quiz. Uh, I, so I think I went to the wrong math, guys. <laughs> that's <laughs> not what catechesis in the liturgy means. What it does mean is this. Uh, I suppose, what did you say catechesis means? To to speak with the mouth or to teach with yeah, the mouth or something some, like that? Yeah. I will have to listen to the etymology podcast. It's the So Dennis has I, to think of himself and then the word is yeah, made Yeah, I realized. forgot my own podcast. <laughs> It's it's more think of the the liturgy as a, as a privileged. Well, at the liturgy, the church is gathered in her uh, most real self, and her head, which is Christ, uh, kind of the mouth of the mystical body. He is the one who is teaching, not classroom lessons, but conveying the divine truths of God in such a way that by hearing them with the ear of their heart, we become transformed by them. And you know what this reminds me of, Chris? My favorite two new, newly discovered words, ratio and intellectus. This is where uh, Abe gets to show he's been paying attention in class. Do you remember the difference, Abe, between ratio and intellectus? What's ratio? Ratio is like... A way of a, knowing. Yeah, a way of knowing, but it's like it's like really wordy and... Well, I mean, like, so when we're thinking about it, it's, it's you're much more straightforward, you're much more strict, you're scrupulous way of looking at things. Yeah. Um, it's words and books and acquisition and, of knowledge. Yeah, and, and it's analytical. And then your intellect use is much more contemplative, emotional, and intuitive. Yeah. Right. So the, the liturgy has this catechetical power aside from just the words it uses. But also you go into a dark church, you smell right. incense, you hear chant, you see glittering gold and vestments and windows. And suddenly you're like, oh, this isn't just a classroom. This is actually a participatory experience. And that's a catechetical attribute of the liturgy too, not just words being said to you or books you read about it. Because Chris, your favorite word is coming up. Your favorite uh, word, yeah, yeah. ten seventy-five. Yeah, uh, it's uh, where it's. Let's just go right to the source here. The liturgical catechesis aims to initiate people into the mystery of Christ. It is mystagogy by proceeding from the visible to the invisible, from the sign to the thing signified, from the sacraments to the mysteries. So the type of catechesis that we're describing, that the catechism is describing, is mystagogical catechesis. So imagine you go in and you sit in the nave and your senses, all each of your five senses are presented this sort of tapestry of signs and symbols, so visual symbols and audible symbols and olfactory symbols in the form of incense, uh, everything like that is this 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 medium of sacramental symbols. And what mystagogical catechesis does is leads you to and through those symbols to what lies behind, beneath, and around them, sort of on the other side of this veil that they're presenting. Mystagogy leads someone into what they cannot see, but which is made present in these signs and symbols. And it's not just a matter of this sort of uh, ratio that Abe was describing, this uh, 
uh, didactic A means B and uh, Y means Z and this means that and purple means this and the chasuble means this and things like that. It's it's more artistic, poetic, poetic, participatory, where you kind of engage these signs and symbols and have this revelation laid before your an apocalypse, this removing of the veil. So you encounter Christ and become transformed to be like him. Yeah. Imagine, Jesse, when you fell in love, all you knew was I will combine my genetic material and propagate this species. Right. There's a mm-hmm. lot of ratio there. Right. But there was all this circumstantial stuff, right? All this stuff of love. I would argue there was little life. to no ratio involved in courtship <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> and so that's another way of knowing, right? It's knowing beyond the knowing. Uh, Bishop Barron did this talk about uh, faith, and he says faith is not in opposition to knowing. It's what is probable and likely based on what you know, right? If you if someone you trust them and they they fulfill that trust fifty five times. Chances are you have faith that they'll be trustworthy the 56th time. And so when the liturgy has all this knowledge, you say, oh, yeah, this is likely to be true. I'm coming to understand. And so here's the liturgy as catechetical teaching, not just with a bunch of words, but with this participatory intellectus kind of uh, understanding, which is why it matters how the rites are done. It's not just matter and form and validity. And we said the right words. And now we have actual Eucharist. It's how do we get everybody's whole entire mind and body involved so they understand what it means to be in the embrace of the Father or in the dialogue of the Trinity, not just doing the duty that you owe to God. That's right. Wow. Yeah. But I think leaving this kind of introductory section, which is still is what we're in, I think that it maybe we could start to summarize this. I mean, because there's yeah, there's some there's some fundamental things that it lays out for us that um, I don't know. I think too few people at least see too often or too clearly. Uh, but I think when you go back to uh, in 1070, that excerpt from Sacrosanctum Concilium, you know, that the liturgy is rightly considered as an exercise of the priestly office of Jesus Christ. That is the unseen action of the liturgy. That's what's happening behind every sign and symbol. That's what every piece of music is meant to reverberate, to sound like, is the priestly action of Jesus Christ. That's what every chasuble or dalmatic is meant to show. That's what Sunday or lauds or the Easter season is meant to radiate. That's what a church building looks like is uh, the new temple, which is Christ's body. That's the unseen reality of everything in the liturgy. If you're not seeing that, <laughs> do you know, do you, do you guys ever read this book by Frank, do you know who Frank Sheed is? So yeah, he was a Catholic author in the early 20th century, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think he was, I think he was Australian and his wife was English and they, they wanted to form this publishing house called Sheed and Ward, but he was a very, he was a, a lay apologist, but he wrote this, this great book called Theology and Sanity, Theology and Sanity. They rarely go together, do they? Uh, but they should. This was his point that uh, if you're seeing things that aren't there or if you're not seeing things that are there, then it's a sign that your mind is unhealthy. It's not it's not sanus. It's insanus. OK. And theological truths are real truths, real realities. And to not see them or to see them incompletely is a sign of insanity. So to see theological things is to have a, a, a healthy mind, a sane mind. 
Okay, and I, I've always thought a, a good book would be liturgy and sanity, because to to come to the liturgy and to see things besides the priestly office of Jesus Christ, or not to see that is not to see what you should be seeing. And so this is, I think, one of the first points uh, to take away from this introductory section. The liturgy celebrates the priestly office of Jesus Christ. That's the ergon that's done in the name of or on behalf of the people. Now, the second part, again, from that uh, 1070, uh, in the liturgy, uh, this is presented as signs perceptible to the senses that corresponds in a way to each of these signs. It's been, a, here, here's another Fagerbergism, it's been eyesed, I-Z-E. Dr. Fagerberg makes this uh, observation that the, the suffix eyes always means to make. So it was sanitized? To make clean, <laughs> minimize, to make small, familiarize, to make familiar, monetize, to make money out of. As he said, uh, he had one student, Abe, who quipped once, what about the word size? Is <laughs> the only size eyes <laughs> the, only, the only word that ends in eyes that doesn't mean to make. Okay, so this uh, this priestly office of Jesus Christ has been sacramentalized, symbolized. It's been turned into sacramental signs and symbols, and so that's why mystagogical catechesis has to hone in on the liturgy's signs and symbols. Whether, whether those are objects or words or music or people or times or places or whatever, and lead people through them to this encounter with Christ. Because we've been authorized, right, to do this. We have the authority of the author of these realities to sacramentalize them here on earth. And well, Abe has a, been yeah, liturgy guys eyes. Uh, yeah. Liturgy guys. guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like it. Yeah, well, in some ways we've been authorized, in other ways uh, not. I mean, the the right, the principal author, of course, is Christ, and so we can't. If we were the author, we could just rewrite the liturgy any way we wanted. Uh, and some things the church can adjust, of course, but others, the uh, the author, we're not authorized to change some things, like words of the uh, baptismal formula, for example. We had a podcast on that, but uh, yeah, so this is this is the paradigm set up for this by the Catechism at the beginning. It makes present the economy of salvation for God's glory and our sanctification, the height of which is the priest's office of Jesus Christ that is now made sacramentalized to us in the liturgy such that we can encounter it and be transformed by it. And it's a pretty awesome thing. So we have summarized the introduction. Nice, Jesse. And, and so where are we, uh, we going to head next time we dive into this? What's going to be the stuff that we start to look at? Well, I love this heading. Of the chapter one, the Paschal mystery in the age of the church. And the age of the church is an interesting phrase because um, you have the age before the church, right? Which is the Old Testament. You have the age kind of after the church, which is eternity in heaven after the eschaton. But in the meantime, the age of the church is when the application of Christ's victory is being done. That's why we're a pilgrim church because we're still walking down that yellow brick road toward the, the emerald city of the father's face. And so how does this happen in the age of the church is what the next section is all about. All right. Uh, you guys ready for a liturgy question? Yeah, let's thank Abe, Abe for being here. Oh, hey, thank, thank Abe for being here. Thanks, Abe, for being Thanks, here. Thanks, Abe. 
the Ravens down there. The we are Ravens. Yes, we are Ravens. Great. Go Ravens. Ravens. Always a Raven. So Raven if life. I have to put uh, an excerpt from this podcast from Abe in this uh, in the show notes, do I have to quote the Raven? Evermore. Uh, or nevermore. Uh, okay. All right. That's enough from you, Jesse. All right. <laughs> okay, so Abe's going to do the, the rest of the show, and then I'll just head off. I th- okay, yeah, great. Right. <laughs> yeah, actually, what's happening. I'm, I'm coming to take over your spot, Jesse. Uh-oh. Yes. <laughs> I have less and less time to do yeah. this as I uh, dive yeah. more and more yeah, into it. Yeah, this is yeah. a great audition, uh, Abe. Nicely done. <laughs> our, our people will contact your people. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, thanks, Abe. And uh, Chris, time for a yes. question. Dennis, you can join too. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, this week we were mailed a question via a delicious uh, brewed beverage. Well, Chris was mailed a question attached to a bottle of beer, which is awesome. And uh, Chris, what was the question? Yeah, so this came from uh, Liturgy Guys listeners and Patreon supporters and uh, very good friends, Paul and Patrine from uh, Central Wisconsin. So they listened and they heard that uh, they could submit questions uh, to me uh, attached to a full bottle of beer. And so they did. Wait, what kind of beer was it? It is a Point Brewing. So this is made in a Stevens Point Point Brewery. It is a classic amber lager. Mm. So, From now on, oh. called Liturgy Guys Lager. We should have a <laughs> All right. What was the question? Okay. So they ask, they say, we understand uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion are only supposed to be used when no priest or deacon are able to administer Holy Communion, or when the number of the faithful coming to communion is so great that the very celebration of the Mass would be unduly prolonged. Um, I'll try to summarize the rest. So, you know, now it's another, this is another COVID question. So, in, in the Diocese of La Crosse now, which Paul and Petrine are in, uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion are not to be used. Communion is only distributed by priests or deacons unless they have some underlying condition. And, you know, what Paul and Petrine are seeing, especially with the limited uh, capacity of people in, uh, that is a uh, uh, 25% capacity, that it's not unduly prolonging anything not to use Holy Communion extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. And so it's bringing the point home that, and this is something uh, Redemptionis Sacramentum, a document warned about, is kind of the unjustified and unnecessary uh, uh, multiplication of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, that their use has been kind of an abuse because they're not actually needed. And so their question is, given what we're learning now about uh, or what we're experiencing in these COVID times, shouldn't bishops, priests, 
liturgy guys uh, and uh, liturgy directors uh, start to make this point that extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion are, in fact, what they say, extraordinary. Okay. I'll no, take this one, Chris. The answer is yes. yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. In fact, actually, I mean, we're, I'm already seeing that in our diocese. So um, in Chicago, at least at the parish I'm at, there aren't uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion are not even allowed. So and it's not I would say that it doesn't even prolong the liturgy even longer because we're we're also limited to the number of people who can actually be in the church anyway. So um, now I'd imagine this, this will be. I probably just go back to the way it was before, um, and I don't think at my parish it's egregious. But I've seen some parishes where I, I went to a mass here in the area that was I went to like an eight a.m. mass, and I'm not kidding, five percent of the congregation were extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. <laughs> I think so, um, but yes, I I think they should. I think that's where we move. Do you remember that Eye of the Tiber post some years ago? Uh, priest appoints every member of parish as an ordinary <laughs> minister of Holy Communion. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Dennis, why do you, uh, you in a previous podcast, you were talking about the word ordinary. Ordinary, yeah. And so these people are called extraordinary. Uh, what, is, what does that mean and why? Why should we ideally receive from the hands of the priest? Right. We have EMHCs, right? Extraordinary ministers. And I think we have to keep in mind that those words mean something. Ordinary means the, the people who have normal authoritative charge of things, right? They look over, they overlook things, oversee. Uh, so bishops, priests. Extraordinary is only if you really need it. And so outside of the ordinary. So if I let somebody teach my class, for instance, I would be that would be an extraordinary teacher, right? Outside of the ordinary uh, teacher, I, I would and be like happy the, to. Just let me know when yeah, uh, Jesse, you want me Jesse to come will up. be the guest, the guest speaker. Um, and but I think for a long time people just said communion minister, and they weren't making the extraordinary distinction. And they thought, oh, well, let people do something to feel included. And I think that vibe is sort of still with us that. Somebody just helps out and they do it just because it's kind of the thing to do as opposed to an actual genuine need. And uh, keeping that distinction in mind that the, the person who's deputed for this primarily is ordinary. And then sometimes you have, well, I should say the sheriff is the one whose job it is and the deputy is the one who helps only when necessary. Well, I'll say I'll say this one. One last thing is um, and I think it's kind of relevant. Uh, so uh, the liturgical institute, we're working with a diocese. Uh, uh, in America that has a bishop that is actually going to be removing those permissions for extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion to be retrained. And so we're going to have a, a class on this for our online study program that's going to be taught by uh, Father Dennis Gill, beloved friend of all of ours and uh, director of the Office of Worship in Philadelphia. And uh, he's going to break that break this down for ministers so they can properly understand what they're doing. So th there'll be a a section for extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion and then another section for lectors so that they know what yeah. they're doing as well. It's like so. when your driver's license expires and you have to go take the test again. So like time to, to renew. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Chris, do you want to wrap up the, the question segment? Do you know how to Just, do it? Uh, yeah. Okay. So Paul and Petrina, I hope that answers uh, your question. Uh, listeners, if you have a liturgy guys a question, uh, please uh, email it to um, 
literature guy that question. No, so no, question no. that one. Or you can uh, tweet Dennis at Super Taster DMAT, taste everything and you don't, oh, backslash wow. end quote, uh, per, uh, parentheses. Or that's basically your only option. So anyway. I hope that uh, so obviously Chris is a extraordinary uh, questionnaire of the liturgy guys podcast. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you. And God bless. The liturgy guys is brought to you by the liturgical Institute at the university of St. Mary of the Lake at society for the renewal of the sacred liturgy and the center for beauty and culture at Benedictine college. Now that's a podcast.